Hey everybody, welcome back to Chasing Chantha Visuk, episode 2. We are ready to go. I dropped my son off at school. I did my morning walk. Um, funny thing, uh, I was getting ready to write an episode and I was reaching for one of my energy drinks. Instead, I grabbed a beer, uh, unknowingly, opened it up, and um, hell, why not? I mean, it's already open. I don't want to waste it. So... <laughs> Uh, so episode two, we are in Washington, D.C. So right around this time, you know, I, I'm still used to the freedom of running around in the village. Uh, unfortunately, we are now living in a, uh, a three-bedroom apartment. Actually, it was a two-bedroom, I believe. Even smaller. Yeah, yeah, because we slept on the couch. It was a pulled-out couch. That's right. Uh, it was a two-bedroom apartment, actually. Um on the upper floors of Washington, D.C., and still energetic, so I tend to uh, to run around a lot because it, as a kid, you discover that your, your, your strides are a lot shorter, your legs are shorter, so in order to get to a certain place to keep up with the adults, you would run. And so everywhere I went, I, I ran. You know, like Forrest Gump said, everywhere I went, I was running. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, so I did a lot of running, and unfortunately, we lived on the upper floors. And I know if my wife is listening right now, she's probably looking at me uh, funny because I would tell my son to stop running in the apartment all the time. And this is why. This is why, exactly. Uh, so I'm running around, and my feet weren't very light because I'm used to pounding the pavement. You know, no, not the pavement. Pounding the dirt um, as I'm running. And we'd have neighbors downstairs who would constantly uh, take their take their broomsticks and and bang the floors and so that that would let us know that uh i was a bit loud and it got to the point where you know i i would keep doing i would keep running they would tell me to stop running um and i would for a couple seconds and then i, I would do it again and it got to the point where i was getting spanked for it and i learned very quickly that uh if you get spanked they meant it and so I calmed down on it. And in fact, uh, to this day, I mean, I weigh right now, last I checked, about 198 pounds. I can run in this apartment and you probably couldn't hear me. Like I would sneak up on my wife all the time just because it was funny. And she has like the heart rate of a hummingbird. And so um, I learned very quickly to adapt to, uh, to that style. And... Um, yeah, I was, uh, I wouldn't say I was treated badly, but I was definitely uh, the odd man out as far as kids are concerned. Uh, my aunt and uncle had two other boys, and they were choir boys, to be honest with you. I mean, they were proper, you know, uh, I wouldn't say they were perfect, let's be honest. But uh, they put on an air, they put on an air about it, and... Um, you're going to find out later on down the line that uh, putting on a face um, is very important in Asian culture. And this is what was going on. They were putting on a face, even though we lived with them. They were, they were putting on this perfection face. And uh, I, I, let's be honest, I was a redneck <laughs> considering, you know, considering how I was raised. I was raised free, go out there, do whatever, um, come home eventually. And so that's that's how I was. I, I guess I would be considered a wild child. And so I didn't quite get 
what they were trying to mold me into. To this day, I still don't get it. And um, as it, I was, what, maybe three, four years old? 84. Uh, three years old. And so I was loud because that's what I was used to. I was probably very obnoxious, as I mentioned in the last episode. I was kind of a dick. And um, I just didn't understand why I would constantly be told to do this, do that, sit this way, uh, speak this way, use certain hand gestures. There's a lot of hand gestures involved. Uh, Laotians are pretty much the Italians of Asians. And so I would just sit there and I would just... At, at, at certain points, I would just give up. I wouldn't move at all, and I would just sit there. And um, so, you know, things were rough back then. And um, I, I, was, I remember a, a story uh, my father told my stepmother um, a couple months ago when we last went to go visit because they saw how lively Alex was running around in the house and you know he was having a good time and my father uh said to my stepmother that alex reminded um reminded him of of me as a kid and um he he uh told me a story about how i was you know running around doing my thing and um either my aunt or my uncle one one of the one of the two uh yelled at him as if you know why don't you control your kid um in fact uh take him to the park take your kid to the park just so i can take a nap and he 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 uh he said how unwelcomed he felt at that moment because like we're supposed to be family you know we're, we're supposed to look out for each other and it's like i need to take a nap get him out of here you know and so he he felt then and there that uh we had to go, like, there. This is this is no way he was gonna raise his family, in in these conditions. Cause my, my my father from a poor family. My mother's side is is a lot more well off, and my dad was more of a farmer, you know. So, he was all about family, um, taking care of each other with whatever you had. And so, um, we finally uh, we finally moved out. And then roughly right around 1986, we moved to uh, <laughs> to good old Rochester, New York. So, uh, if you can imagine, um, you know, Laos and Thailand are tropical areas, generally roughly around 80 to 90, if not 100 degrees every day. And then moving to southern U.S., uh, so the, the weather's kind of night, you know, kind of the same. And then suddenly finding yourself in Rochester, New York, in the middle of winter, living in a, I'll be honest with you, the house was haunted, living in a haunted house on Arch Street in Rochester, New York, with um, myself, um, with my great aunt and uncle, and their five children. <laughs> and um yeah i mean it's it, it was a lot better off because this these guys were more more my speed um i got i got along with these guys i still get along with them uh to this day uh so <laughs> if you could just imagine um myself and then suddenly there's like five other versions of me 
just running around just causing havoc and we we got into it because when you have five kids and not very much as far as uh who gets food <laughs> who gets the most food or who gets the tv remote at the time actually no at the time it was a uh it was a box with a cable attached to the tv and you would slide slide the uh, channels back and forth that way and so it was always a fight to see who would get to that first and um we fought a lot and let me tell you that was probably how i learned to uh to manage my pain um because there 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 is a rule there's a there's a very loud adult rule that when you see a, a kid do something stupid and you know it's incredibly stupid uh you tell them once don't do it or you'll get hurt and then the kid does it anyway and then you look at him one more time and he goes, if you get hurt, I will hurt you some more. And so we would get into fights, like huge knockdown, drag out, like hair pulling, punching. And it, it was real fights. Like we were just wailing on each other. And then from the other side of the room, you would just hear one of the parents go, if you guys get hurt, I'm going to hurt you more. Like I don't want to hear any crying in there. And so we would. We would like take it. Like again, just. I mean, we've drawn blood, and none of us would make a single sound. Like, it didn't matter how much it hurt. If we, f if one of us fell on the floor and even made a face like we were about to cry, the other ones would just surround them and be like, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, you're good, you're good, you're good, because <laughs> nobody wanted to get in trouble. And even though we were fighting each other, we didn't want to see the other ones get hurt either. And so we would, like, shelter each other that way. And, um... Yeah, so that's that was Rochester life. And then um, the impact of moving from another country to this country uh, finally hit my parents. You know, I remember it now, like the struggles they had to go through. So in the morning, they would go to school. Um, they would go to, uh, I guess it would be a secondary school, uh, to get their GED. So my mom and my dad would go uh, to school. And I would be left with the kids at home. If, if they went to, to school, I essentially uh, would be left by myself. And this is before that was legal. It could have been illegal then. I don't know. But my parents, you know, or their, uh, everybody, uh, they just knew that this was going to be. So I was left home alone while in a haunted house, uh, by the way. And um, my parents would go to school in the morning. Uh, they would get their, their education and work towards getting a GED. And at night, they would uh, go pick worms to sell to the local bait shop. And so uh, I never really saw my parents much, except for, um, except for on the weekends. And like I, I, I finally remember that now, just thinking about it. Like they would go, you know, I don't know how long school is, six, six to eight hours. And then after that, they would come home. They would, uh, they would, they would feed me, or feed the whole group, and then roughly around six to seven o'clock at night, they would get ready to go pick worms, and they would get their their little battery pack and and their head torches, and um, they would have a solution of like water, and I believe it's dish soap because if you pour water and dish soap on the ground, it irritates the worms and they come out, and they would do that every night, you know, for. I don't know how long, 
and then finally uh my dad shows up with this uh this maroon Volkswagen rabbit and it was the first purchase you know first major purchase they had and he was so proud of it and it, it was maroon all around like like the the interior was maroon as well and it was a stick shift and he was so proud of it that he he took us out for a ride and I don't know if the clutch was shifting or uh, or slipping or anything, but uh, it, I remember it not being very fast. And so that was their first major purchase. And then finally, you know, doing the same thing, going to school and then going to work and then picking worms. Uh, my parents also worked in between picking worms and going to school as well. And, uh, you know, they finally got us a, a place. We finally moved out to uh Takaki Ave, Takaki Avenue. And if you guys are in Rochester and you're listening to this, Takaki Avenue is not a nice place to be, especially if you're a kid. And don't get me wrong, like it's probably worse. Now. In fact, I know it's worse now. But back then it was bad. Uh, this is roughly 86, 87, I want to say. And um we finally got a place. Wasn't haunted. And um I, I finally went to school, to good old school number eight, and I started kindergarten. So this would be 86, yeah, I started kindergarten, and my kindergarten teacher was Mrs. Sweeney. I still remember that. She uh, passed away, I believe, when I was in either first grade or second grade from uh, from cancer, but she was the first person to teach me how to write my name, and I would... I would always go and turn in my, my work. I wouldn't write my name. I mean, have you seen my name? That thing is, like, ridiculous and long. But I wouldn't write my name. I, I couldn't write, you know, I couldn't write Virifon. I couldn't write Noi. I couldn't write anything like that. And then one day, she I guess she had gotten fed up with me <laughs> not writing my name. And she came with a, uh, came with a piece of paper. She wrote my name down, Virifon. Uh, Chantavisuk, and then she had me trace it with uh, with a crayon, and so I traced, you know, V I R A, and I did that, and then she would just have every day she would just have me tracing my name until I finally started writing my name, and obviously I never forgot because you know she was the first person that actually took interest in in. Uh, in teaching me how to write my name. Ooh, fun fact about kindergarten. So for <laughs> my first day in kindergarten, um, I didn't speak with anybody. I didn't speak to anybody because uh, I didn't know these people. Like, well, you know, I'm supposed to interact with these people. I don't know you guys. And it got to the point where I was, I was tested and almost to the fact that I was about to be put into special ed because they thought I I couldn't speak or I, I was slow or something like that. And so uh, my dad goes in, speaks with the teacher. And, you know, he, he asked me, like, why aren't you speaking to people? And I go, I don't want to speak with anybody. And so he looks at them. And my dad doesn't speak very good English at all. And he'll tell you this. I have a funny story about that as well. But uh, he looks at he looks at the teacher and he goes... He can speak. He just doesn't want to talk to you. <laughs> and so, um, 
you got a laugh out of that, and so I got out of uh, I got out of special ed, and uh, kindergarten was pretty pretty easy, I guess if you think about it. I mean, all you did was play and and listen to stories, and we still had nap time then. I didn't really nap. Oh, oh kindergarten was also <laughs> it was also uh, where I met my first crush. Oh God! Oh, what is her name now? Brenda. Her name was Brenda. I won't say last names because she's probably still around. But those who went to those who went to kindergarten with me can probably find figure out who that is because there was only one Brenda. And um, yeah, that was my first crush. Like I was just uh, it was just one of those things where I would just stare at her, real creepily. You you imagine, just just a little big-headed five-year-old kid with big round eyes just staring at you for no reason not even speaking either because again i didn't speak in kindergarten and uh yeah it's kind of creepy not thinking about it, it looked like a you know like a lemur or something but, uh, yeah kindergarten was my first crush and uh also also where i encountered my first i guess um first encounter with racism i suppose uh thinking about it now i mean it, it's it's a laugh but uh thinking about it then i i completely didn't understand what this was all about and i felt very uncomfortable um with it it was uh i was being picked up by my dad and we were walking home and all of a sudden like I start hearing this girl's voice just ching chong ching chong you know and uh, what you know I, I'm wondering where this is coming from and I hear it again ching chong ching chong and I look up and there's this girl like sitting on her balcony just looking right at us right at me and she does it again ching chong ching chong and I'm uh, I was just confused because I know who this girl I know this girl her name is Ruth we were just in the same class together. Like, literally, we just got let out of class, and here she goes, like, just calling out on us. Um, and my dad looks at me, and he rubs my head, like I do to Alex now whenever he looks nervous. And he rubs my head, and he just puts his, uh, puts his hand uh, on my back, like my upper, my upper back where my shoulders are. And he doesn't say a word. And I, I, I got it. You know, my father and I had this very, uh, uh, very close communications where we don't have to say anything to each other. We just get it, and um, yeah, that I, that bothers me now that I'm talking about it. Uh, I told you earlier that I laughed about it, but now that it's act, the words are actually coming out of, out of my mouth. Like, you know, my father has been in wars. He he was in the Vietnam War. And so Americans were over there, you know, and they were fighting the Vietnamese. They couldn't differentiate between Laos and Vietnam, you know. And so I'm sure he was called a chink. He was called uh, a gook, you know. I mean, hell, uh, what's his face? Uh, Arizona there. No, still says gook, but he gets a pass. Um, but, like, I'm sure he understood what that was even though he you know barely spoke a, a lick of english when he heard that i'm sure he knew what it meant 
And so for him to see me with that confusion on my face, uh, I, I don't even know what was going through his head. And, but he knew to, uh, to rest assure, um, to assure me that everything was going to be okay. And I, I never questioned it. And, you know, I, I just found that very difficult to understand as a kid. And, you know, wherever Ruth is, I'm pretty sure I'm doing better than her. So, uh, we're going to move on. Other than that, elementary school was kind of a blur. Like, you know, I got, I did all the Asian things. Um, I played instruments. Uh, I played a trumpet. I played a clarinet because the girl I really liked was also playing a clarinet and I just wanted to sit next to her and I was awful in the clarinet to the point that I never actually played the clarinet. I just did the finger motions. And, uh, fifth grade came about and that's when I discovered competition because fifth grade in school number eight there were only two classes there was Mr. Camellio's class and then there was Miss O'Brien's class and that's when we I guess drew battle lines there this was gang warfare you were either team Camellio or you were team O'Brien and field day was the day of execution. Like, we didn't care about grades. We didn't care who had the better grades, who was smarter, who was the better reader. It was all about athletics, field day. And there was two of them. There was field day in the fall, and then there was the definitive field day in the spring. And ribbons mattered. Nobody wanted a red third-place ribbon. Nobody wanted the blue, or I'm sorry, the yellow second-place ribbon. It was about the blue ribbon. And we trained like i'm sure mr camilo and ms o'brien had like a a little you know tit for tat la, 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 my class is better than yours no 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 students trained for these things like i carried an egg on a damn spoon like my life depended on it and if that egg fell i felt i brought shame to my family i brought shame to my class i was going to execute myself right then and there and so field day came and I was a sprinter. I was a, I was the egg carrier, eggs and a spoon. And um, I believe I was also the log jumper. And so I worked out, like I worked my legs out. I was doing squats, and it meant it, I was ten years old at this time. And we we were training like athletes. Like we got together after school, and we were just you know okay this is your event this is my event let's go and so we would always meet at, at you know the the park on avenue d and yeah it got serious like we like we wouldn't even the couple weeks leading up to to field day we wouldn't talk to each other like the other class was the other class they were on the other side of the moon as far as we were cons uh we were <laughs> we were considered and so field day finally came and Again, like I said, I was going to carry that egg to the finish line and back as if my family, my ancestors depended on it. And so I did it. Boom. First place. Blue ribbon. Suck it, Mr. Camellio's class. And then uh, long jump came about. Guess who got that? This guy. It's blue ribbon. Again. Suck it. And then finally, it was tied. Now, this, this is a, a movie couldn't have written it any better. 
it was tied. And then we finally got to the marathon event. One boy, one girl, each, uh, each class. We'd have to run around the block. And the first two to finish would win. And um, we ran out of top-tier athletes, I guess you would say. And so we chose, you know, I believe his name was John. John was one of them. Um, and I forget the girl's name. I believe it was Madeline. Yeah, John and Madeline. Madeline was athletic. John was not. And uh, Mr. Camellio's class had Kenneth, who was extremely athletic. And um, Suzanne, who was also extremely athletic. And they chose them last because I knew, like, these guys were sprinters. And so we were like, oh, my God, no, we're going to lose, we're going to lose. And we, we held our heads in our hands. We didn't want to see this race at all. Finally, whistle starts. They take off. Kenneth, Suzanne, running, you know, gone. Shot out of a cannon, gone. You know, I didn't understand the, the mechanics of, of a marathon race at that time. I just knew they were fast and they were gone. They were already around the corner by the time um, John and, and, and Madeline had, had even gotten out of the gates. And so... Again, the, the story of um, the tortoise and the hare. Like, they sprinted out, and they were gone. But because they sprinted, coming around the corner the other way, um, Kenneth had actually f dropped. Like, he, he was so exhausted, he had actually dropped. And Suzanne had barely made it um, across the line, and she actually uh, vomited. But here they here, here came John and Madeline to like slowly but surely. Boom, both of them crossed the finish line. And we did what every single college um, crowd does when you are the underdog and you finally get that win. We ran to them and, and then we just surrounded them and we were just elated. This was it. This is how we ended our elementary careers. Not with straight A's, not with like a cap and gown. No, the big blue ribbon. We had finally defeated our rivals, and we would never let them live that down. And because we all knew each other, like to this day, I, I, I still talk to the twins who were, uh, John and David, who were in Mr. Camellio's class. I would still talk with them and be like, yeah, we kicked your ass. I guess I still have that blue ribbon, by the way. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, we still have that, that laughter. Um, and yes, I do still have that blue ribbon also at my dad's house, probably next to Barry, as far as I know. And then uh, middle school comes around, and all of us, I believe, yeah, all of us decided we wanted to go to Charlotte Middle School. And... Again, gang warfare. Once you enter middle school, you're given a house, a specific house. So you were house A, house B, and house C. I was chosen for house C. And, uh, and so what was weird about house C was 6th, um, 7th, and 8th grade. They, they had this new uh, experimental program. You would have the same teachers from grade 6 to grade 8. And so they would just follow you through, and then they would teach you different curriculums. And I thought that was actually pretty cool. What I didn't like was the fact that Charlotte Middle School used to be Charlotte High School. 
And so the school was a lot bigger. Um, and I remember being so tired just going up and down those stairs every day. I'm like, my legs can't. My legs aren't supposed to go up this many flights of steps. Like, what the hell, man? Who, who designed this? And middle school was kind of good, I guess. I mean, there wasn't really anything that awesome in middle school. And so fast forward, eighth grade, we, uh, we were told we had to choose high schools. This is like, you know, how getting you ready for college. You, you had to write down what high schools you wanted to go to. And you had to write your top three. And so my first choice was Franklin High School. Basically because Franklin, well, Franklin High School for the fact that it was close to my house at the time. And uh, I believe you only needed 18.9 credits to graduate from Franklin High School, which was very, very small. And then I wanted to go to East High School because I knew a lot of people who went to East High School and because I wanted to be known as an East Oriental. Yeah, that wasn't offensive back then. And, and their mascot was a tiger. Figure that out. Anyways, and then my third choice was Edison Tech because it sounded really cool. Except it was also the hardest high school to graduate from. And uh, guess which one I got? So I got in an Edison Technical and Occupational Learning Center. <laughs> Yay, us. It used to be a boys' school. And I was now an Edison Tech inventor. And our mascot was a lightning bolt, and our colors were gray and maroon. Gross. And. I got school spirit because, again, you know, that competitiveness finally uh, finally kicked in. And I wanted to play sports. And so the first sport that was available was football. And I didn't get football because apparently you're supposed to register in August, and I knew nothing about that. So I was already out of that. But I did get a chance to play baseball that year, and I did make varsity. I was a pitcher. My number was 16 because at the time in 1995, the hottest pitcher in baseball was Hideo Nomo, number 16. So you give the one Asian guy you got on your team the number 16. Why not? I also threw like him too. It was kind of cool. I had that weird wonky windup. Yeah, I emulated that. I was awesome. I could also throw at 55 miles per hour. Not very fast if you're trying to throw <laughs> baseball, but you know, uh, uh, I'll, I'll take that as a win. And um, I was doing pretty good there, actually. I wasn't the captain, but I made varsity. Uh, there was also soccer, which here's the weird part about soccer is um, Edison Tech didn't have a soccer team, but the East Orientals did. And so there was this weird way of I was still able to play soccer, but I was playing soccer for East High School instead of for Edison. So I would be pitching against East High School, wearing the Edison Tech Inventors outfit. And then the next two days, I would be rocking the East High School soccer jersey. And I would be like, hey, you know, we could totally beat these guys. Like, East High School sucks. And then next day, I'd be like, hey, East High School, yeah, <laughs> kick the ball. <laughs> yeah, that was very odd. So 10th grade comes around. I finally got to uh, to play more sports. 
And so 10th grade is, let's see, 1996. Um, I finally got to play the sports that I wanted to play. I became a quarterback. I became a pitcher. And I didn't play soccer that year. I kind of wanted to play volleyball, but every Vietnamese person in Rochester also wanted to play volleyball. And they were so much better than me. In fact, I believe they were all related. They were all trans. Not, not wins. No, no, no. Wins didn't play didn't play volleyball they were too good for that but trans them trans can spike a ball and uh i didn't make the, the volleyball team but 10th grade i got this uh this this thing called america online and it was very very like it was a bad drug <laughs> and this is during dial-up and so we would get to, uh, we would dial, you know, we would dial, you would hear that, you know, and then, then, you know, welcome, you've got mail. And that was like a hit. You know how you get a text message nowadays, and you instantly had to grab your phone and take a look at the text message? When you said, welcome, you've got mail, boom, you flew over to the mailbox, you clicked on it, and it was just garbage. But chat rooms on America Online were fantastic. And I found this chat room called Wrestling Roleplay. And so, basically, you would, you would join a, a, a wrestling roleplay group. And um, you would write promos. You would write skits. Uh, so you would write, like, a, you know, such and such wrestler um, enters the room. He's wearing leather boots, uh, jean pants. You would write this whole script. And... And make it as elaborate as possible. And then you would write the promo. This wrestler would say this and this and this. And um, at the end of the week, whoever was running, whoever was running the uh, the role play group, would write the card. He would write the matches. He would write, you know, such and such hits somebody over the head with a chair. You know, pin one two three. We got a new champion, sort of thing. And who? At the beginning of the week, whoever wrote the best promos uh, would, would would win. And so every week, we would, we would write a promos. Promo, throughout the whole week, we would just cut promos on each other throughout the week. And whoever wrote the best by the end of it, accumulatively, would win the match. And it got my creative juices flowing. However, you want to say it. Um, it got me really, really into writing, and I got really, really good at it. Like I was writing, like you know, journals and and small little stories um, during English class. And I met this uh, this kid called uh, I forget I forget his last name, but his name was Joe. I'm just gonna call him um, I'm just gonna call him uh, Madison because that was his wrestling name. <laughs> And uh, he gets a hold of me. And he goes, hey, man, uh, there's this guy who is um, doing actual wrestling uh, shows or ta- taped taped wrestling shows. And he's paying people if you if you want to get into this. 
And I go, hell yeah, man, because, I mean, as a kid, you watch wrestling, and it's like, yeah, that's that's what I want to do, you know? I want to be like Breath the Hitman Hart. I want to do the sharpshooter, and I want to come off the top turnbuckle and all these things. So I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, set, set me up. And so he gives me an address, and uh, it's it's an address for an insurance company in Webster, New York. And I'm like, uh, um, okay. You know, this guy's paying, so whatever. So I show up to this insurance company, which I won't mention because it's still in business. And uh, it's it's just offices. Like, I go in, there's, there's a desk, there's a secretary, and she's like, hi, how can I help you? And I said, hey, I'm here for wrestling? Question mark. And she looks at me, you know, with, without any emotion whatsoever. She goes, oh, yep, right down the door. Right down this way and take a left at the door. And I'll let them know you're here. Uh, okay. Still, still, I mean, still very cautious here. And this gentleman steps out. I'm going to call him Larry. But that's not his real name. And Larry shakes my hand and he goes... So, you know, you're, you're, you're here to do the, do the wrestling filming. Yeah, yes, I am. Yes, I am here for wrestling filming. And he goes, well, what can you do? And I said, I can sell very well. I mean, I can make it look like I, I, I got hurt selling. It just means, you, you know, you make things look believable. And he goes, oh, that's good. That's good. We need somebody that can do that. And he takes me in to, to the back and... He opens the door, and there's two gym mats on the floor. And then there's wall, 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 wall. Probably, I don't know, 8 by 8 if at best. And there's a bunch of guys just standing around, some of them shirtless. And he goes, right, we're going to be wrestling on mats. Um, you, you take the falls here. There's no ring yet. And again, I'm... I'm like, uh, okay. So he just goes, all right, you and and you, just go. And they would just start wrestling. And it was, it, there was no training at all. They would just do backyard moves on the the wrestling mat. There would guys just be, like, jump, bouncing off the, the wall. And <laughs> he goes, all right, it's your turn. And so... I do a couple moves with the guys, and you know we talked each other through it. And then uh, he goes, "Yeah, I like you. Uh, you should come back next week. We'll do the actual filming." And I, uh, all right, sure. So I come back. <laughs> I come back, and we we filmed a match. It was me and this other kid who uh, was a wrestler, and he, he was doing wrestling in high school. And this kid was jacked, like shredded, probably like 4% body fat. And um, here's me at 135, because that's what I I weighed at the time. And we put on a match, you know, we talked through it, we, we went over it beforehand, and then we did our match. And Larry shakes our hands and he goes, that was a good take. Uh, we're going we're gonna to film it, and then we're going to uh, distribute it. And so... I, not film it and distribute, but uh, edit and then distribute. And I didn't really hear anything for a while. Um, probably like two or three weeks. And finally, I get a I get a phone call 
at my house actually my, my dad picks up the phone and uh, <laughs> he says there's this guy from the insurance company who wants to talk to you and uh, oh okay um, hello yeah noi yeah because yeah um uh we got some people who are interested in uh in getting together with you and 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 starting a uh, a promotion are you interested uh sure so he tells me to come down to the uh, the old post office on the uh, I forget where what street it's on, but it's in a, it's the old post office in Rochester that's next to the uh, the train station, and they've got a ring now. Finally, uh, they got a, an actual ring, and um, he actually hands me a hundred dollar bill. He goes, "This is yours for the video." I'm like, "Oh, sweet! I got paid." You know. I know most most people who wrestle now who never get paid except for like you know Gatorade and pizza, and so I actually got paid for my first video, and uh, he tells me that he got an email um, from a guy in Germany who was interested in coming to Rochester to wrestle some of the guys that were on the video, and he said he would bring his own gear. And he was especially interested in wrestling me. And uh, I said that's a hard no. <laughs> so so that, that was as far as that conversation got. And yeah, so we finally got a ring. And I got my name, which wasn't Alex Mikado at the time. My first wrestling name was... Uh, oh, God. What was it? Kate... Kate oh, Kato Mushimitsu was my first wrestling name. And just like my real name, uh, no one can pronounce it, so I changed it to Johnny Sisko. And Johnny Sisko was awful. Not that Alex Mikado was any better. But Johnny Sisko was just basically a huge um, rock ripoff, but poorly ripped off. And then I finally... Uh, I finally got out of that because high school was over. So I did this for a while, actually. I did it for my entire high school. And I finally got out of that because high school was coming to an end. And by grade 12, my senior year, uh, they had developed this program called Regents in high school. And Regents was a failure, an absolute uh, failure, in that... You could fail the entire year. You could, not, you could not even show up to school the entire year. But as long as you got a D in your finals, you passed. And boy, did that come back to bite them in the ass. Because a lot of kids took that route. Like senior skip day was every day. And um, I especially took senior year uh, very laxed. I played every single sport that was available. Like I had, um, I had that athletic drive. I had that motivation to, you know, be the best. Except I had no school spirit whatsoever, and it was their fault for announcing, "Hey, you know, pep rally's coming up. We need all the athletes to be there. But if you didn't want to be there, you can go home so long as you, your attendance was taken. You would be given credit for that whole day." So I would show up for first period, which was study hall. Don't matter. 
because I got my attendance taken. And then I told everybody I was leaving. And one of my teammates, one of my baseball teammates says, hey, no, I, uh, you going to go pep rally? No, man, no, no, I'm not going. Why would I go? They said I could leave. But you're the captain of the baseball team. And, <laughs> and so I just left. Um, and then a lot of times, my senior year, I had already gotten pretty pretty covered as far as credits are concerned. So I had maybe three study halls, and I would sleep during global studies. I was very good at like global studies and geography and history like that. So I would just take that time to sleep. And I would sleep in the front of the class just so I can get closer to the door to leave during uh, when the bell rang. But I managed to get all my grades. I got out of there. And then I finally said, uh, I finally said to my classmates, hey, you know, high school's over. Not for nothing, but I have seen you guys during elementary. I have seen you guys in middle school. And I have seen you guys during high school. I have seen you guys for pretty much my entire life. We've hung out together. We've had sleepovers. Um, we've, you know, gone to the mall. We've fought each other. We've eaten together. I'm going to go as far away from you guys as I possibly can. And that's when I decided to go to California. All by my lonesome. <laughs> it was one of those... Uh, most impulsive ideas that I got and um, my friends and family will know that I do that a lot. I get an idea in my head and I just go and see where it goes. And so that was my my schooling career in Rochester. I be I wouldn't say I became a pro wrestler that that would be a disservice to my pro wrestling friends. But I did get paid, so technically I am a professional. Um, ooh, excuse me. That was bad, huh? <laughs> uh, so I got out. I said bye to my friends. I said bye to my uh, my dad. My mom and dad had uh, gotten a divorce by then. I won't go through that because none of my business. And uh, they're actually better off. So uh, I'm going to stop it right here. I think we had a good time. Ooh, next week I will uh, next week's going to be a special episode it's not going to be chronological but I think um, it's important enough that I speak about it uh, the end of the month this September being uh, suicide prevention month and I have a story to tell and I think um, it will help a lot of people so next week, I'm actually going to release on Thursday because I have a training to do Friday. But uh, thanks for listening, and I will see you guys uh, next week. All right, see ya.